Welcome, dear readers. You are listening to Time to Read, a Winnipeg Public Library podcast book club. We are coming to you from our little hamlet, better known as the Carol Shields Auditorium, which is located on the grounds of WPL Castle, aka the Millennium Library. We are, of course, located on Treaty 1 territory and on land that is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. In this episode, we will discuss The Princess Bride by S. Morgenstern. If there's a book you think we should discuss in the future, let us know at wpl-podcast at winnipeg.ca. If I remove my black mask, you'll find I'm Alan Chorney, branch head of the Transcona Library, and to my left is... I am Dennis from the Idea Mill, and my love is like a storybook story. And across the table from me is... Hi, I'm back. It's Kirsten from Harvey Smith Library, and I'm relating strongly to Dictionary.com's Word of the Year, existential. And to my right is... Hi, I'm Trevor. I'm clinging to the Cliffs of Insanity halfway up, halfway down. <laughs> and when I'm not doing that, I'm the branch head at the Louis Riel Library. A good book can carry me away from an Dear readers, we couldn't do this without you. It's your questions and comments that form the heart of our discussion, so make us laugh or make us cry by emailing us at wpl-podcast at winnipeg.ca or leave a comment on our website, wpl-podcast.winnipeg.ca. Find out if your comments made it on the air by subscribing to Time to Read on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, or other fine podcasting services. In a moment, Kirsten will start us off by giving us a brief bio of William Goldman, the actual author of The Princess Bride, (laughs) followed by Dennis, who will spoil everything with a brief synopsis. Then it is on to the discussion, which you can get in on by emailing us at wpl-podcast at winnipeg.ca or finding us on Facebook. Don't forget to stick around to the end for a special segment, Nerd Words for Word Nerds. Kirsten? Thank you. So yes, the bio of William Goldman, because of course, Morgan Stern does not exist. Um, William Goldman, born 1931 in Chicago. Uh, He was a novelist and screenwriter, probably more well-known as a screenwriter, as I learned as I was doing this research. And he died last year, November 16th. He was drafted into the Army after graduating with his BA, and he was assigned to the Pentagon because he knew how to type. That's all it takes to get into the Pentagon, I guess, at that time. Um, And then he graduated uh, with his MA from Columbia University in 1956. He wrote short stories throughout this time, but he failed to get anything published. He was actually one of the editors of Oberlin College's literary magazine, and he submitted stories to that magazine anonymously, but he still couldn't get a short story published. And the other editors had some quite unkind words about the pieces that he had submitted. He, of course, went on to be rather successful. He won Academy Awards for his screenplays, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and All the President's Men. He was, a, like I said, a prolific screenwriter. And out of the many, many films that he screen wrote for, he adapted many uh, Stephen King's works like Misery, which I had no idea, Hearts in Atlantis, and Dreamcatcher. 
He has said that getting into a rhythm as a writer is important. And for him, that meant having coffee, reading the papers, turning on the computer, and checking out the Calvin and Hobbes cartoon of the day. He also said that, I don't like my writing. I wrote a movie called Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and I wrote a novel called The Princess Bride. And those are the only two things I've ever written, not that I'm proud of, but that I can look at without humiliation. William Goldman. Okay, the uh, summary for The Princess Bride by William Goldman. I made this up entirely myself, so if it's oh, no good, you know, blame it on me. We can't blame Wikipedia. And full spoilers on this one. Wesley and Buttercup live a simple life on a farm and fall in love. Wesley sails off to find his fortune so that he can properly marry Buttercup, but his ship is overtaken by a notorious pirate who never leaves survivors. Heartbroken, Buttercup eventually agrees to marry Prince Humperdinck rather than face execution, but she does not love him. Then she is kidnapped by people intending on murdering her, then kidnapped again by a masked stranger who turns out to be her lost love, Wesley. They are captured by Humperdinck, who secretly tortures and then murders Wesley and plans to murder Buttercup after they wed. Unlikely alliances and one miracle later, Wesley rescues Buttercup and they ride off into the sunset into eternal happiness. That's the story. Or at least, that's one of the stories told within a bigger story about stories. It's a romance, it's an adventure, it's a revenge tale, it's a fairy tale, it's social commentary, and maybe it's something else too. Nice job. Good stuff. So The Princess Bride... How did you guys feel about coming into this book? You know, I knew about the book after the movie came out because I saw the movie in theaters when I was a kid. And this is one of those books that I've avoided reading for a long time because the movie is my favorite movie of all time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, you go see a movie and read the book like, uh, like Fight Club. And the movie is much better than the book in that case, in my opinion disagree but i see what you're saying <laughs> you're objectively wrong alan it's widely agreed the, and then there are other books and movies like um to kill a mockingbird where the the movie is good but the book is uh, just too beautiful to compare and i didn't want to sully the mm -hmm. experience of the movie in any way by being exposed to either a book that was so much better or so much worse and so i was really kind of delighted that it holds up and stands both separate and together and didn't just makes me feel better that I read the book now. Yeah. I didn't actually realize that it was a book first. <laughs> um, I saw the movie a long, long time ago. I saw it again with uh, my son when he was little. I just, you know, sometimes movies just exist as movies. And that's what I always thought it was. So um, it was sort of a surprise to me to delve into it. Although I do admit that I didn't actually read the physical book. I listened to the audio book. The, Which is uh, an abridged version. The the Rob Reiner. And read by Rob, Rob Reiner. Reiner. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. How, how was it? It was pretty good. I read a review about it where it said like that they thought Rob Reiner was reading it like a parent that's really rushing through a bedtime story <laughs> trying to get to the end. And that sort of stuck with me as I was listening to it because I thought that actually added to it because I think a lot of us as parents have been there. I thought it was enjoyable, and all the, the funniest parts or the best parts of the movie come right from the book, and that, that was quite delightful. You know, what's cool about that, too, is the book, in many ways, is a, a story about storytelling, and so to experience it in all different formats, whether it's a movie, whether it's a book, whether it's an audiobook, it's cool. Like, the story shines through, no matter what the medium is. Yeah, exactly. and for me, I think I'm in the minority, because I never saw this movie till I'd say, recently, like in the last five years mm -hmm. so i never saw it as a kid yeah and i rewatched it maybe a month ago two months ago 
so it was fresh in my mind when I read the book. And uh, so I don't have the same kind of nostalgic attachment to the movie that many, many, many people do. I'm sure mm-hmm. we'll talk about that later, about the, the pop culture uh, significance the movie has. So I was coming into it more... I wouldn't say indifferent, but just sort of more clinical. I saw the movie, I enjoyed it, <laughs> and then I was interested in reading what the book was. And again, like sort of dances, I was very pleased that the spirit and the feeling of the movie is in the book, and vice versa, and which may have to do with the fact that William Goldman also wrote the screenplay mm-hmm. for the movie, so he was right there through the process. But yeah, I just was reading it and thinking, like, okay, yeah, this is this is really fun. It's it's very similar to the feel of the movie, but, uh, and that's fine. And, and I enjoyed both. Although you did give me your copy of the book so that I could finally at least have a look through the book version and uh, you hadn't finished it. You said, oh, well, there's well, just too much of like... Okay, <laughs> well, yeah, I just, I didn't want to clarify. I, I, I finished the book proper, but the edition that I had, I think it's the same oh, one that Alan had. Yeah. It has like Buttercup has, like, Baby. Like, and... like all kinds, like there's this uh, written chapter and I was thinking like, this thing's got more appendices than Lord yeah. of the Rings. And yes. I was like, uh, I don't need to, I had enough. Like yeah. I, I enjoyed yeah. it. I don't think I need to read about Buttercup's Baby. Uh, to to be fair, uh, Buttercup's Baby was only added to the 25th anniversary of the book. So so you're, you're off the hook on that, okay. Trevor. So I can pretend yeah, I'm a hipster and I had some copy, uh, the 1973 but, copy. Because <laughs> well, the copy I had didn't have the uh, the Buttercup's Baby oh, okay. thing. I think that he had started writing the sequel, right? And that was Buttercup's Baby? Well, if you yeah. read the... the it, I don't know if he actually like literally started writing the sequel or if he was in his pretend... William Goldman talking about writing the sequel, but who knows if he was actually starting to write the sequel. Well, according to Kerry Elwes in that uh, book he wrote about the making of the movie, he had tried to write a sequel, but he just couldn't do it. And so I think that's, yeah, yeah, you can't take his word in the, in the book itself <laughs> <Yeah>. because... <laughs> When I was in high school, after we'd watched the movie, a friend of mine uh, had read the book, and she was telling us all about how it's actually a really old book, and like she bought into the whole story, right? And it had been edited, and all this other stuff was in there. And so when I read through it, it was like, oh, oh, okay, she bought all. You you, you got because you can't tell. He's kind of convincing until he keeps bringing up things like that Florin and Gilder were real countries mm-hmm. and that there are scholars about them and, and things like that, that clue you in that it's supposed to be a joke. And then, and then some of the extraneous stuff, he talks about visiting Florin. I don't know if that was in mm-hmm. your edition. Yeah. He goes and visits the, the, the library there. And then, he gets into a pretend feud with Stephen King because oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is, is that like, like Stephen King was then hired to write a screenplay or, well, or Stephen King was hired to abridge the oh. sequel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's got like at the end of the of the twenty fifth edition, I guess he's got Buttercup's Baby, an explanation. So no. there's this whole thing about an explanation, and then it actually goes into Buttercup's Baby. I don't think I ever got past the uh, explanation. Yeah, no. Yeah. This is that where my bookmark was? was? was somewhere around no, that, there. Yeah, this yeah. is this is my bookmark. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What about you? Well, yeah. sort of similar to Trevor. I hadn't seen the movie growing up as a kid, so I don't have like all of those attachments to it, and I didn't see it like a bajillion times. I saw it once in my early twenties, and I really enjoyed it, and I thought it was a a, a really good movie, which is interesting because other movies that I know people are attached to, like Labyrinth, as great as David Bowie is, like I, I saw it as an adult, and I was like, yeah, it's it's okay. But then reading this book, I really remembered much more of the movie than I thought I did, or, mm-hmm. or the movie 
played more in my mind than I, I thought usually happens in, in this sort of situation. Yeah, so, same here, yeah. actually. As yeah. I was listening to it, I was like, wow, I'm remembering way more of this movie than I thought I would. Yeah. 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 Well, and what I enjoyed about the book, too, was that in the movie, I, I, the two times I saw it, I felt like the the three bandits, uh, their stories were just not really fleshed out enough mm. for me to care about them. Fezzik and mm. uh, Inigo and Montoya and yeah. uh, the Sicilian, the Sicilian, <laughs> uh, but yet in the in the novel, I liked how we went back and we got to see their origins and understood mm-hmm. how Fezzik became who he was, yeah. or or the whole backstory of how Inigo Montoya was training. And mm-hmm. he, I mean, so I enjoy. I think that there was a better payoff for me when I read the book when when we finally had that final confrontation between the six-fingered uh, man and, and him. Then in the movie, I was just like, well, okay, this means something to him, but it doesn't mean anything to the... It doesn't mean anything to me, sort right. of, but... I, I kind of thought that was uh, hilarious in the movie because he'd always say, my name is Inigo Montoya, you killed my father, prepare to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I thought it was funny because you didn't quite have the context of that, but he kept on saying yeah. it. So I, I thought that was kind of funny in the film. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the film was definitely made lighter than the book. Like mm-hmm. when you read the book and you read the stories of Inigo and Fezzik and Vecini, you realize that these are extremely dangerous people who have all killed lots of people. Separately, And it's clear, too, that Wesley, as the Dread Pirate Roberts, had killed a, a lot of people, too. And you kind of in the movie, it's easy to gloss over. But in the book, it's, uh, these are all extremely dangerous people, like the most dangerous people in the world. All of them. Like, I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Explain. <laughs> well, I mean, in, in the sense that like when you read Marvel comics or whatever, which which are aimed at kind of a younger demographic and, you know, they're smashing up New York City and you're like, you know, there is a lot of collateral damage here that never actually happens in, in the Marvel universe kind of thing. So I, I kind of felt it was the, the same way. Yeah, there dangerous but i wasn't like i don't think i feared them in the book i, I took it as as pretty lighthearted. i think well because there was well, there was magic yeah. to be able to access you know to mm. bring someone back to life so yeah but that was also really an uncommon thing you know? <laughs> well, what does death really mean <laughs> but just to follow up what alan said about uh marvel that uh, in the 80s there was a, a limited series i think it was a four issue series called damage control it was all about the crews that are sent out <laughs> to uh you know uh deal with the property damage after a superhero fight and it's so they're all non-superheroes they're just like construction guys and and uh, uh you know uh remediation specialists and so it's kind of a kind of a fun side of superhero movies you don't always think about that yeah after like a fight between thor and whatever yeah there's gonna be some serious you know (laughs) carnage uh, carnage it's gonna take a while to clean that up amanda on facebook actually agreed with you trevor what you were talking about like delving into the characters a little bit deeper because she said that she read the book back in high school which i just yeah think is great because most people have just seen the movie so anyway read the book back in high school loved it my favorite character would be fezzik because the book covers more of his story than the movie does. So hmm. yeah, she would she would agree with you. Oh, that's <laughs> going back to Dennis's point though, the interesting thing though is which I didn't notice until like halfway through the book is this isn't cataloged as YA, this is adult fiction. Whereas we have the movie in our, our juvenile collection here at the library. So I guess we could talk a little bit more about do you think this is an adult novel? Like or like would kids pick it up? I think this book has a lot of levels to it, so it's pretty easy to 
be something that kids can enjoy. I mean, I don't know that kids would enjoy the uh, parts where Goldman is going on about the whole process about his son and his wife and the, <laughs> finding the book and going to the editing phase and things like that. But if you do a Goldman and skip that part when you're reading it to the kids, the story itself works perfectly well. And then you can leave out all the little asides and stuff like that. And then as an adult, that meta commentary is a little more meaningful, especially when you get to the end and he's talking and he have, he essentially gives you multiple choices. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, Morgenstern said that, uh, you know, all of a sudden all these dangerous things started happening right at the end. And then he says, well, you could have the happy ending. Or you could have the realistic one where eventually they gain some weight, they start arguing and bickering, Fezzik lose, and Indigo lose fights, and, you know, <laughs> uh, that's kind of the dreary, this is what real life would be, but, yeah. I wonder if anyone actually does that with this book, where they read it to their kid, but just skip out all of the William Goldman asides and, and parts. It would hold up. Yeah, they should. Uh, you know, let's tell <laughs> let's tell folks to do that. As parents of Winnipeg, yes. please do this Pick with your out. children. Yeah, do the uh, the Rob Reiner edit. That's whatever. right. Skip yeah. over all the italics. It's funny, Alan, when you're talking about, is this an adult book or a book for kids? Uh, when I started reading it, the first book that came to mind for me was Slaughterhouse Five. Mm -hmm. uh, because if you get, remember in that, the first chapter is yeah. very meta where Kurt Vonnegut is, or a version of Kurt Vonnegut mm -hmm. is talking directly to the mm -hmm. reader and mm -hmm. talking about, you know, what a terrible time he had coming up with this book. And then, and so, I mean, William Goldman takes it to the uh, extreme degree. Uh, but it was the same kind of framing device, I mm -hmm. thought. And, and it was interesting when I looked up the publication dates. These books were published with just a very few years of each other. Mm -hmm. So they could very possibly have been on bookshelves at the same time, but very, very different tones, mm -hmm. yeah. but uh, similar structures, I thought. Yeah, it's kind of interesting how writers will bring themselves into the work or bring a version of themselves. What I was thinking, I was like, is there something that this is reminding me of? And I didn't think of it until we just sat down. But the film adaptation with Nicolas Cage, written by Charlie Kaufman and Donald Kaufman, uh, and he writes himself and his twin brother into the movie, except Donald Kaufman doesn't actually exist. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a crazy movie. I just remember, I remember seeing it where it was based on the Orchid Thief yes, by Susan right. Orlean, <laughs> yeah. and then like Meryl Streep, I think, plays a version of Susan Orlean in it. And yeah, uh, yeah it's yeah, it would be worth a rewatch. <laughs> So one of the things we asked was that, or talked about was there was a lot of quotable quotes in the book. I don't know if anyone had any favorite sayings or anything that stood out to them particularly, or I guess from the movie too. You know, the funny thing about the book is that it's almost impossible to separate from the movie in my mind. And I'll have a quote in my head and I won't remember whether for sure whether it was from the movie and the book or just one of them. The line with uh, between Vicini and Inigo, when Vicini says again, inconceivable, and Inigo responds, that word you use, I do not think it means what you think it means. That's exactly what that was my choice. Oh, of. It's <laughs> I the love best that. line I ever. It. It's so funny because to me, it's like a little mini uh, nerd word segment. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right, 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 in the, right in the text. And my other favorite moment in, in the movie particularly, and it's uh, also mostly there in the book, just different characters saying certain lines, but when they're storming the castle and they uh, need to get the gate key and the uh, Willem or whatever the gatekeeper guy's name Yellen. is. Yellen. Yellen, that's it. He, ref he says, oh, I have no gate key. Fezzik, rip his arms off. <laughs> oh, you mean this gate key? <laughs> <laughs> I just love that moment. I, <sighs> I think for me, uh, the line that stands out that I like is when the man in black is uh, dueling with Inigo 
And he says, uh, and he goes to something, and then uh, the man black says, "Get used to disappointment." Uh, yeah. I just oh. got, or is that what it's, uh, well? It's um, I got it wrong. Indigo asks him, "Who are you?" After seeing his uh, virtuosity, and he's like, "No one of consequence." He goes, "I must know. Get used to disappointment." Right. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> I think uh, my favorite line comes in the beginning where Buttercup's just realizing her love for, for Wesley. And she goes, I have loved you for several hours now and every second more. And I thought, I was like, that's such a great line. <laughs> and I'm like, man, like, I feel like that might be a, like, if any, if I were sitting in a bar and someone came up to me and said, I have loved you for several hours now, I think my heart would melt onto the floor. <laughs> All right, folks, you heard it here. You see Alan at a bar. That's the way to get to his heart. Um, was the, I had written down also, true love is the best thing in the world, except for cough drops. Oh, right. Yeah. Was that in the movie as well? I just what? remember hearing it on the audio and thinking, that's uh, awesome. In the movie, I love it. Billy Crystal ad libbed the line and instead of cough drop said, except for MLT, a mutton, lettuce, tomato oh, chat. Okay, uh, okay, right. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, I that like whole her- scene with Billy Crystal, uh, the, he, he and Carol Kane, they improvised just a lot of lines constantly over the filming. <laughs> And just it, they, uh, Rob Reiner actually had to leave the set for some of it so that his laughing wouldn't keep interrupting the takes. <laughs> Were they the ones too that said, have fun storming the castle? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's also good. I can I admit that I'm not really the biggest Billy Crystal fan? I, I, I think he's probably my least favorite part of the movie. I, I kind of found his character kind of annoying in, in the film. Hmm. Well, when when Miracle Max, yeah, comes on the screen for me, it was like, oh, that's Billy Crystal. Like, it, hmm. in a way, it kind of took me out of the movie a bit because, hmm. aside from him, none of the other actors were really, to me anyway, like iconic or well known. They were hmm. they were playing, they were cast because of their their looks or their hmm. uh, acting ability. But you know that time I didn't know anything about Mandy Patinkin or Andre the Giant well (laughs) again like I mean I did see the movie only about five years ago so I knew who Mandy Patinkin was from like Homeland or something but but, you know Billy Crystal I I could see I guess maybe it's just because was he and Rob Reiner friends or how how did he get cast like it's most of the actors were uh, connected to Rob Reiner in some way like he uh, knew like Christopher Guest, uh, who was oh, from, Spinal Rogan, Tap. from Spinal Tap, and there was a couple of other Spinal Tap connections amongst the crew and film. Uh, most of the actors were reasonably well known at the time, except for the younger cast, like Carrie Elwes and Robin Wright. Yeah, we asked social media too about favorite characters as well, yeah. and lots of people said Wesley. That's Westley, true. although they spelt it Wesley. <laughs> Wesley. Oh, yeah. yeah, Adam Ziegler said. I've read both the book and watched the movie. Wesley is the best character because of his flamboyant attitude. It's both my favorite book and my favorite movie, but I will not swoon over it here. (laughs) (laughs) And Charlie Nellum said, also said on Instagram, I have read the book and watched the movie. This was one of those very, very rare occasions when I enjoyed the movie way more than the book. Wesley is my favorite. Yeah. Lots of votes for Wesley. Yeah. Speaking of characters, I, I read a funny little bit. It's probably what you read too, Dennis, in, in the Carrie Elwes's book about uh, Rob Reiner asking Carrie Elwes's advice for casting British actors because Carrie Elwes was a Brit, uh, was a Brit, and he uh, asked him who he should cast for the uh, the minister. Uh, in the scene, the marriage scene, mm-hmm. and Carrie Elwes's favorite British actor was Michael Palin. And he said, oh, he would be the best for it and gave him the script. But he read it and loved it. But 
didn't want to do it because at that time he was also filming someone with a uh, speech impediment in a fish called Wanda. And he didn't want to kind of be, be typecast, typecast as a guy that yeah. uh, has a speech impediment. So he turned it down and then they got Peter Cook, I think, who did it. But uh, now they're all behind the scenes. I was delighted to find out that that was written that way in the book, too, because mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if that was something they just yeah. did as a gag for the movie or, yeah. you know. Yeah, I wasn't sure. If that, is that like Peter Cook's like shtick, you know? And then, yeah, but, but it wasn't. Not, no, yeah. it's not. No, no. <laughs> didn't include that in the audiobook, though, that part. No. Because I remembered that from the from the Mowage. Oh man, yeah. that was such a brilliant moment. Yeah. So life is not fair and it has never been and it's never going to be. Do you guys feel that way about life? That's one of the things we ask. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean fair. yeah. It, 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 That's it. Case closed, yeah. nothing more to discuss here. Yeah. But it's interesting that, that would come out in a fairy tale setting, yeah. which in fairy tales mm-hmm. things always do work out and you know, the princess is rescued and everyone rides off into the sunset. Lives so happily ever after. Right. So I mean I feel like it's William Goldman's little little dig at the uh, subverting the genre by, you know, uh, putting that out there. Yeah. Well that line, uh, you know, life is pain, highness, everyone who tells uh, differently is selling something. Even when I was, you know, sixteen, that line connected with me right away. Like at the end where he gave the alternate endings of how it could have worked out, uh, especially the realistic ending where, you know, they start bickering and like life happens. It reminded me of that book by, um, oh shoot, I'm going to forget the author now, but it was called uh, After the Ecstasy, The Laundry. It was by a Buddhist writer and he was talking about how, you know, people go off to like Buddhist retreats and they meditate and they have these moments, they have like epiphanies, they feel like they're coming towards enlightenment And you come back from that and no matter what your experience was, no matter how golden it was, the daily things in life, like your laundry, they still have to get done. You Mm. still have to wash the dishes. You still have to uh, figure out your uh, grocery plan for the week and things like that. And that stuff is usually just kind of skipped over in fairy tales and in lots of types of books and the movies and things like that. But it's always there. So I like the nod to it in this otherwise pure fantasy thing. Yeah, and it came up again and again. So mm-hmm. I think it definitely was a, a well, theme of the book. Yeah. In, and even in the framing story to uh, Bill Goldman, or I, I called him Bill in my head. <laughs> <laughs> you I've never Bill. seen him referred to as Bill. <laughs> well, because anyway. I needed to make I needed to make him. Uh, I think someone I, does his dad call him Billy. His dad calls him Billy a few oh, times okay. in there. But I needed to differentiate the character Bill Goldman from the actual screenwriter William Goldman some way and and so i called him bill throughout the story but even his framing story in the book i don't think necessarily ends particularly fairly or 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 happily for him anyway you know especially if you go into the the buttercups baby segment and how he doesn't get to write the sequel and how he has all these legal troubles from uh morgan stern's estate afterwards and and all that sort of fun stuff so he could have made the story end well for him (laughs) And I think in uh, going back to Carrie Alwes's uh, memoir, I think he and other people in that book refer to him as Bill mm-hmm. as well. So you're not completely off okay. base by doing that. So. You and Carrie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, since we're mentioning Carrie Alwes's book a bunch, um, it was titled um, as, you as You Wish, Inconceivable Tales from the Making of the Princess Bride. And I found out about it because one of our coworkers posted a blog to the library's website 
not long before we or not it was long like after the we had decided to do this book. Yes, and the and the week before the, our blog post promoting this yeah. book came in, out. In, yeah. fact, in fact, when I saw the headline of the blog post, I thought, "Oh, Ellen's post is up early," <laughs> yeah. and I clicked on. I was like, "Wait a second, this is something totally un- <laughs> not related, but completely totally on point." But uh, since uh, our coworker Eileen had brought up this book, and and I subsequently read it, and we had decided that we wanted to get a bit of her feedback into the book and movie and her experience with it. So uh, we got her to record a little segment that I'm going to play now. So when I think of The Princess Bride, I think of my childhood. My dad introduced my sister and I to the film when we were young, and we enjoyed the sword fighting, the hilarious characters, and I was terrified of the R.O.U.S.'s. As I grew up, we continued to watch the film, and I appreciated the more adult humor, and even more so Billy Crystal's and Carol Kane's performances as Miracle Max and his wife Valerie. As a family, we often quote from the film, though to be fair, my dad often quotes from many films we watched when we were younger, but this one in particular, he will recite scenes should the occasion arise. One of his favorite quotes from the film is, Life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling you something. I don't really know why this quote spoke to him, but he still uses it to this day, and fairly often. This is why my sister and I, when we were older and found it on DVD, knew we had to purchase a copy for my dad, and he loved it. The Princess Bride is a film that has influenced popular culture, has resonated with people young and old, and also, I believe, has aged fairly well. When it is on TV, I will sit and watch it, and, if I'm with my dad and sister, we'll recite our favorite quotes, doing our best impressions of the characters, but most of all, we'll be laughing, cheering, and yes, even tearing up a bit though mostly from laughter. Oh, and now I don't mind so much the R.O.U.S.'s, nor the kissing parts. So thanks, Eileen, for contributing Mm -hmm. that. That was great. That was great. Yeah. It's interesting hearing someone's perspective who kind of grew up with it and and it was part of what brought their family together was was this movie or this story. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I want to just now also just read something that came to us through social media that kind of speaks to that, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, how our loved ones often will turn us on to a book or a movie. So uh, this is from Ms. D.S. Menagerie, and uh, she writes, I have to post this. My husband, Jason, showed me this movie after I asked him why he always said, as you wish to me. Later in our marriage, we decided to read it. My husband and I used to read books together often. He would read first, then I would, as I was a much slower reader. Our last read was this novel. He finished it and would pester me often, saying, Did you finish it yet? I have something I want to tell you about this book. I hadn't finished. I would started university in 2010, so I put off reading the book. He continued to bug me, Just finish so I can tell you that thing. He died in 2012. I didn't finish the book at the time, nor did I find out what he wanted to tell me. I still haven't finished. So, yeah, no life. It's fair, but it's still beautiful. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing that. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's quite the, quite the. Yeah, I mean, so that speaks to also the whole, yeah, life. Is life fair? I mean, Absolutely not. (laughs) No, but... Life is still beautiful in its in its way, and yeah. I wonder, I wonder if she uh, ever will finish the book, or whether it'll just be sort of one of mm-hmm. something that just always by not finishing it, it sort of somehow leaves that part of her yeah. life just a little bit open or something. Yeah. I wonder, like, I wonder yeah. what I would do in that situation. Mm-hmm. Would I read it and then sort of would that give me closure, or would 
would that somehow be betraying my husband by by not by yeah, I don't know that's uh, trying to figure that. out that one thing yeah yeah time. like like rainbow rolls uh, one three last words or whatever in uh, right. Erlner and Park and right right yeah. Uh, yeah but it really speaks to how stories connect us and mm. uh, stick in our memory long after you've read them or talked about them. Mm-hmm. The good ones do anyway. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes really bad ones do too. That, that's also true. My wife and I still talk about the time we watched the box movie, uh, which was based on a Stephen King story, which I think I, it remains the worst movie I've ever seen. All was, the that the, was that the Richard Kelly movie? Was he the director? I don't remember directors. No. <laughs> I wonder if that was one of the Stephen <laughs> King screenplays written by William Goldman. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I don't think it was. <laughs> I don't think so. But, you know, speaking of William Goldman, I sort of had my own Princess Bride moment with one of his scripts, and it was the uh, the script for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And I, I remember watching that movie a bunch of times with my dad as a kid. And oh. I think my dad only showed me the good parts uh, <laughs> because like I thought it started with the train robbery. And I remember that. And, and the only things I really remember are the, uh, the train robbery and then the conversation leading and the whole scene leading up to the cliff jump. And those were the two scenes that really stood out for me. And so then like as an adult, I rewatched the movie and I was like, what's all this like long, boring, weird stuff at the beginning? This isn't the movie. And so, so I don't know whether I'm just remembering the good parts or whether yeah. I actually saw some kind of like a curated version. So, uh, so I thought that was kind of, that's what made me think of when it was the idea of just showing us the good parts. Yeah. Well, and, and, and just hearing um, Eileen talk about her family, you know, watching the movie together and then sharing those quotes together over dinner. I mean, that happens a lot at our house, too. And we have this really great kind of memory of us all going to see Sound of Music together. And then I saw it like years later and I had the same sort of idea that oh my God, it's so long. Like, when does the exciting <laughs> stuff happen? Like, I didn't remember it being so incredibly long. I remembered us like weeping and, you know, singing and we've brought up the stories again and again and again. But then the actual <laughs> movie, when I went back to them, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like three hours long. Know, I've heard of some cases of parents only showing the movie up to the wedding scene mm. uh, and then it, it's a shorter scared. movie and then that's less Nazis right. you know, <laughs> in, in the second half or whatever. But it's been, interesting you should mention the sound of music because i did an informal poll of my staff about movies that they find rewatchable and one of the, one of my staff ruda said the sound of music mm. and she said it's weird though because she doesn't like musicals yeah uh, but for some reason that movie it spoke to her you know and uh and, and another staff member rube uh he went for the series he said every christmas he watches lord of the rings series he's always watching the star wars series and james bond series mm. so those are his kind of comfort food touchstone movies yeah. and yeah, and uh, and Robin mentioned uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, which was also popular with another couple of our listeners. Jamie Biebrick said Christmas Vacation and Dirty Dancing is her choices. So, yeah, there's lots of things, a lot of variety out there that people uh, mm-hmm. uh, like to revisit. So, Kirsten, you were mentioning earlier that you don't generally rewatch films very no, often. No, I don't. Do, yeah. Do you reread books? I don't. Okay. I don't do that either. <laughs> Sometimes she doesn't even but read them the first time. I, I, <laughs> yeah, that's true too. But I, and again, it's a family thing, mm-hmm. but we often will go over mm-hmm. uh, like, kids in the hall again and again certain skits around the table or like i said sound of music or west side story like i actually i think i've only seen that once but like and i saw it when i was 
10 or nine and I, or even younger, I was in grade three. And I remember then acting it out when I went back into class singing Maria and, uh, but I only watched it that one time, but it comes back again. So I rewatch it, I guess, in my mind. mind. I'm pretty sure that's an accurate portrayal of gangs in New York in uh, 1960s. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of bright colors. choreography. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Dennis, do you rewatch, reread media? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, like I've read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy probably at least a half dozen times, and I've seen Princess Bride uh, at least a dozen times over the years. And rewatched it this past week, too, and I still laugh at all of the same points, oh and I get excited about a scene that's coming up, <laughs> and the whole thing just lights up all of the pleasure centers in the brain. Oh, a few other movies like Fight Club. Also lights up the pleasure centers in your brain. It lights up different things, but uh, you know, it's one that I've uh, watched a whole bunch of times, but I wouldn't reread that book because I was a little disappointed in the book. (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll admit the movie has a better ending, but uh, I thought the book was pretty good. And I don't know whether this is just something subconscious for me, but looking across the table at you, Alan, I'm, I'm thinking that one of the movies that I always watch is Empire Strikes Back. And that might be because you're wearing an Empire Strikes Back t-shirt right now, but I, that, that's one that I seem to always go to. I don't know. I've seen that one. I can't even tell you how many times. It is It is the crown jewel in the Star Wars saga, I think. Yeah. And it has the, uh, you know, uncertain ending. That's true. Yes. Yeah. There is. I know a lot of times we want our stories to be resolved, but sometimes that lack of resolution and, is not a bad thing. And oh, it has, yeah. my, has my favorite planet in all of Star Wars, the ice planet Hoth. Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I live there about eight months of the year. <laughs> so would you guys recommend The Princess Bride? We'll hear recommend. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. 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 Don't be like me and avoid it for years because you think you'll be disappointed. If you <laughs> like the movie, you will like the book. I, I often have that fear of media or books. I think we talked about this a little bit during... Um, now I'm blanking on what we read last time. Um, the Butler remains one. The, <laughs> the remains of the day, right. Because I didn't want to read it because I like never let you go right. so much. So it, And how you've been a bit funny with the uh, Orcs and Crake series. Right, yeah. Still a bit funny with yeah. the Orcs and Crakes series. <laughs> uh, we sort of talked about this a little bit, but the historical time or the place, the place and the time of this book is never really mentioned. Uh, so it takes place in the uh, made-up land of Florin. Florin, am I getting that right? And some sort of America exists, so it can't be that far in the past. So, so, so that sort of thing. But it was before Europe existed. Like it was. (laughs) Well, it was, and it was uh, fencing was a big thing. So that also kind of puts it into a certain context. So you're looking at 17, 1800s around there. Yeah. Well, I was debating about whether this would be my nerd word or not, but as I was reading, I discovered there's actually a name for this type of genre. It's called a Ruritanian romance. It's named as it's a genre of literature, film or theater comprising novel stories, plays and films set in a fictional country, usually in Central or Eastern Europe, such as the Ruritania that gave its name. And so one of the authors that wrote a lot of it uh, was Anthony Hope. And his probably most famous novel turned into a movie called The Prisoner of Zenda takes place in Ruritania, which is a fictional European country of some undetermined pastime. And uh, Hergé, who wrote the Tintin series, he used, um, he made a couple of uh, countries, Sildavia in King Ottokar's Scepter, again, a very European flavored country of a certain era. And so even Frances Hodgson Burnett, she uh, wrote a book, The Lost Prince. Uh, so anyway, I thought, wow, you know, there's a, there's a label for everything. And so <laughs> Ruritanian romance, uh, is, uh, what this type of thing is called. 
That's like Patrick DeWitt's uh, under major domo minor. It's also like in this sort of medieval country that's unnamed of a time period that you sort of. I think that, I think you, you touched on a rotating romance. <laughs> I think so. And there's that video game Papers Please, which takes place in the communist uh, European country Estroska. I think mm, I, might, I might have pronounced it wrong or remembered it. Wrong. I always wanted to play that game. Mm. Have you played it? It is extremely depressing. I, that's kind of why I wanted to play it. <laughs> it uh, <laughs> it's very effective in, in giving you a sense brain. of what it might have been at, in uh, as a bureaucrat in a communist uh, country. You in, in you work time. as a as a passport stamper or a border uh, person so it's your job and these people come in and you have to decide are they allowed to come into the country are they not allowed to come into the country yeah Uh, and you get penalized because it's like people come through and their height doesn't match their apparent height and you know the (laughs) you got to check the stamp make sure it was issued in the right city and this does not sound fun (laughs) no it isn't because after playing it for a while you're you're anxious and your your shoulders are tightening up and you're like ah you want to see a video game give you you know uh, a kind of a depressive anxious feel then that's it yeah well it's kind of interesting because we think of video games it has the word game in it and that automatically you know uh, elicits joy or, or thoughts of joy but you know it's video games are are a medium like any other and there are video games that will make you sad or scare you or depress you or all all sorts of things so now we need a princess bride video game that's <laughs> with a meta narrative all around it yeah So you've probably heard of Netflix, but do you know about BookFlix? BookFlix is one of the many databases available to you through Winnipeg Public Library's website. It reinforces early reading skills and introduces children to a world of knowledge and exploration by pairing classic video storybooks with related nonfiction ebooks to build a love of reading and learning. Sound interesting? Check it out by going to our website, winnipeg.ca library, and clicking on the Databases button in the middle of the page. Click on the BookFlix link and enter your library card information if prompted. Then you're all set to check out a variety of stories that are sure to delight and enchant. But now it's time to segue into our most awkwardly worded segment. Can you tell me a book you would also like? And weren't we going to talk about a book... I've got like three things going oh, on. Oh, right. Here. We, we, talk about, oh, we, we totally were. We totally what's were. What's coming up? About, what, what are we yeah, excited yes, about? Yes, yeah, yeah, that yeah. Worded, awkward, yeah that, this, this, this whole awkward thing <laughs> no, where I, I totally. While, yeah. So. <laughs> I forgot what we were actually I totally, yeah, yeah. totally. Yes. <laughs> Something we're looking forward to reading, but it's okay. I got it. Do you want to redo that? Uh, no. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's great, as awkward as it is. <laughs> So we're just going to leave this in without editing. It. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you guys really want to edit it. <laughs> we'll see how the spirit strikes me later. <laughs> well, I have a couple of books that I am looking forward to reading. And one of them is coming out in 2020, but one is already out 2019. So the first one is Empire of Wild by Cherry Demaline, who, of course, wrote um, The Marrow Thieves, 
which I loved. And um, as someone who isn't into dystopian books, but I really love that one. And I've just heard raves, raves, raves about this book. My friend Tracy was just visiting and she's a prof who teaches at the School of Native Studies at U of A, actually teaches in course on indigenous erotica and she adores this book and couldn't say enough good things about it so it's set in a small in small towns reservations graveyards and walmart parking lots in and around georgian bay where sherry grew up empire of wild is a gritty love story and chilling mystery as well as an exploration of indigenous life in ontario today from family dynamics to ongoing oppression. Also, I like this review too, because it talked about amidst the smart uh, cultural critique, there are some quiver inducing sex scenes. So, you know, also it's like pleasure parts of my brain. Like, <laughs> hey, you know. oh, happy um, New Year. <laughs> so, so that's uh, Empire of Wild by Sherry Demoline, and you can um, put that on hold at the library right now. And then the other book that I'm looking forward to reading, it hasn't been released yet. It'll be released in uh, the spring of 2020. The Glass Hotel by Emily St. John Mandel, who wrote, of course, Station Eleven. So even as I say, I don't like dystopian novels. There was another one that I really enjoyed. So it's another highly imaginative novel, really beautifully written is what I've read so far in the initial reviews. But it's more straight literary fiction and not so much speculative. So of course, that appeals to me as well. And I guess there are a couple of characters from Station Eleven that show up in The Glass Hotel. So that's kind of interesting. And it also explores the idea of parallel universe that was also touched on a bit in Station 11. So it's about the um, intersection of two major events, a massive Ponzi scheme collapse and the mysterious disappearance of a woman from a ship at sea. I'm a little disappointed that she didn't call it Station 12. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my that's my other book that I'm looking forward to reading in the new year. And I, I think I came up with the idea for this segment, and I don't think I fully understood it either, whether we were trying to think of books that we want to read that are being published next year or just books that we are already published. So I, I have one of each. Okay. So uh, the one that hasn't been published yet, but I'm looking forward to, is coming out in February 2020. It's called The Splendid and the Vile by Eric Larson, who we may remember oh, wrote Devil in the White City. Mm-hmm. And what this is, is just a one-year account. It starts on May 10th. Uh, 1940, which was the first day that Winston Churchill uh, became prime minister and goes through to May 10th, 1941, which was the final and most intense night of the German Blitz. So throughout that year, it follows Winston Churchill as prime minister and leading the country and the world against Hitler and, and Germany. But at the same time, things going on in his home uh, life and his family. So, and it's, it sounds, it, we know how Eric Larson can really take nonfiction and make it sound like a thriller. So I'm really looking forward to it. My one reservation is apparently it's 608 pages. Oh. So uh, whether I actually do get to it, we'll see. <laughs> and then the other one was just a book I've always been meaning to read, you know, Every dang month we're here in the Carol Shields uh, <laughs> auditorium. I've never read a Carol Shields book. <gasps> so I'm thinking in 2020, maybe my resolution will be I will read a Carol Shields book. And I don't know which one to read. I don't know. So, you know, listeners, if you have recommendations or if uh, you good Unless. people... Unless is that yeah. that's one of them? Okay, great. I will. Or, I mean, oh, I mean, I'm, not, I'm not going I'm not, I'm not to yeah. tie myself to a particular yeah. title at this point, but I will read a... Carol Shields book. So tell us your best WPL dash podcast at winnipeg.ca. Right. 
That's what I got. So speaking of big, long books, and I guess my vision of how this segment worked in that I have no concept of books in the future. (laughs) I like, I never, never think about upcoming books. You're like Um, an infant. You've got like no object permanence. It's just like, it's no, it's like those old TBS commercials where they would show reruns during the summer and it would be like, if you haven't seen it, it's new to you. So I'm like, (laughs) if I haven't read it, it's new to me. Uh, So I have this like amorphous list of books that I want to read. And one of the books is a thousand page tome um, that uh, made me think of, I guess, The Princess Bride. And if there were a book that was The Princess Bride that was abridged into The Princess Bride and actually existed, it would be this book, which features love and revenge and pirates and treasures and history and history and history and all in a book so long, it probably could use a William Goldman abridgment. I'm recommending The Count of Monte Cristo by mm-hmm. Alexander Dumas. And yeah, so I, and I was like, maybe it is the the Princess Bride, you know, there's a lot of a lot of similarities in there. And also props to the 2002 movie adaptation starring Guy Pierce. Love that. Oh, yeah. yeah. So that's like the opposite of a brand new book is mm-hmm. yeah, like Count of mm-hmm. Money. Stuff. Yes. <laughs> but I've never read it. So new it's to new, new to me. So new to him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, similarly, I don't look forward to books that aren't published yet because I don't pay much attention to publishing news. The, earlier this year, we did a few sci-fi books and uh, it reawakened my interest in reading sci-fi again. And there's a series that I have heard much about over the years whenever you know, I'd be reading a forum and we'd be talking about sci-fi books that people loved. Inevitably, the culture series by Ian M. Banks comes up and people talk about it in ways that make me interested in reading it, even if I don't fully understand what's involved in the series. But apparently it's uh, talking about a, a future in which I can't even encapsulate exactly what I've heard about, but there's something called the culture and the books don't approach the culture directly. They tell stories in which you kind of see reflections of the culture, which is the society of the time. And just that kind of vagueness and the way people love it is what's Mm. made me interested in reading it. So the first book in the series is called Consider Phlebas. So I'm going to try to tackle that one this year at some point. Cool. Interesting list. Mm -hmm. Very good. Uh, And if you want to let us know what you want to look forward to reading in 2020, you can also let us know. WPL-podcast at winnipeg.ca. I think we have a question up on our Facebook page about that. We do, yeah. Yeah. To be read? Proud of my Canva uh, uh, artwork. That was you. Well, I took a template and I kind of filled with it a wee bit. But that was so good. I I did. It's your abridgment of the It's my abridgment. And now it's time for everyone's favorite segment, Nerd Words for Word Nerds, the part of each show where our hosts boil down their most prevalent thoughts of the past month into one word. And since Erica is not here, who wants to go first? <laughs> Why does Erica always go first? Yeah, yeah almost always. Like she does. Yeah. Oh, she just jumps in. Okay, well, I'm going to jump in because I, I like this is sort of the time of year that um, is just a great time of year for word nerd nerd word, word nerds because um, uh, there are lots of words of the year lists and so um, I think there's been lots written about Miriam West, uh, Webster Dictionary mm-hmm. um, said that they was the word of the year super interesting Oxford Dictionary said climate emergency Collins Dictionary said climate strike was their word of the year 
Dictionary.com, I think I alluded to this in the, at, in my opening, uh, said that existential was their word of the year. And so it made me actually think about other countries. So I'm German. And so I thought, well, I wonder if other countries have words of the year. So bear with me. But I'm going to just talk about Germany's in second place. Their word of the year is roller chaos. Whoa. Refers to the numerous e-scooters found throughout Germany since June when their usage became uh, officially came into law. The increasingly popular scooters became a problem in many German cities because they are often used aggressively and parked in places where they shouldn't be. Roller <laughs> <Vola> chaos. <laughs> but uh, then there's in China, more than 12 million Chinese and Taiwanese chose the Chinese character Kun, meaning trapped as their word of the year. In Norway, uh, the word most talked about was Windkraft or wind power. In Australia, <laughs> in Australia, uh, their third most um, popular word of the year was Jomo, joy of missing out, Ooh. which I think I am going to like, oh, you know, that's, that's the ca- I know, too. right? Grab, yeah. grab onto yeah. that one. Jomo sounds way more yeah. fun than uh, FOMO. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jomo. Nari Shakti was named the Hindu word of the year, derived from the Sanskrit. Nari, woman, and Shakti, power, which is also another really kind of cool one. Spice Girls. And, (laughs) oh, I'm rolling my eyes. (laughs) Um, But I just, so I just wanted to end on this. I had many, many more, but this one I wanted to be my nerd word for this segment. Um, It's from Belgium. And their third place went to Eggelvegel, which is a word for a passage for hedgehogs between gardens. (laughs) Eggelvegel. The third most popular word in 2019 in Belgium. But the most what? adorable word. Yeah. I know. Now are these, are these like it. domesticated hedgehogs? Or are uh, these wild hedgehogs? I have no idea. Well, they must be wild. I, I don't I know. They assume. must be wild. Oh, it's adorable. Yeah. Like, and with all the, you know, the, the climate emergency and the climate strikes yeah. and the, you know, flight shaming and everything. Eggelvagel. Eagle Vagel for the yes. hedgehogs. So, so the hedgehogs. I have a I have a question for you, Kirsten. Mm-hmm. So you were you were talking about all these end of the year lists. Yeah. Um, are you one of those people who believes that the decade ends on December thirty first, twenty twenty, and that's why you didn't bring any word of the decade lists to the table oh. today? I don't know yes, if you guys... that's right. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> so, so this re- re- relates to my nerd word, which is decade. And, and there's a bit of a debate on the internet right now. And some people say the decade ends on December 31st, 2019. And uh, for others, they say it ends on December 31st, 2020. So I looked into this because I was very <laughs> curious because I was like, uh, you know, what does decade actually mean? And so the truth is they're both a little bit right and they're both a little bit wrong. Everyone is wrong in the sense that there is no the decade. Um, a decade is defined as any period of 10 years. So November 18th, 1928 to November 17th, 1938 is a valid decade as any. And on top of that, there's no organization, governmental or otherwise, which dictates an official decade. People 
commonly like the idea of the 60s or 70s or 80s. So most likely when people are referring to a decade ending, they mean one in which the group of 10 years is based on the 10 digits, such as the such as 2010 to 2019, uh, which is, of course, the correct use of the term decade. And you could even say the decade ends on December 31st, 2019, with the decade referring to the common use of the term. Um, where some people get persnickety on this about the term <laughs> the decade is when they start mapping the common decade onto the Gregorian calendar. Uh, so if you <laughs> so if you count persnickety the is yeah. right, yes, yeah, that, that's where I draw the line. <laughs> that's right, the Gregorian calendar. Because <laughs> if you if you count the decades backwards, you know, nineties, eighties, seventies, etc., and you go all the way back to the beginning of the Gregorian calendar to the first aughts, uh, you're left with a nine year period. Because fun fact, the Gregorian calendar starts at the year one and not the year zero, which is why people think that the decade ends on December 31st, 2020, which is true if your starting point is the beginning of the Gregorian calendar. And this type of decade actually has a special name. It's called the Ordinal Decade. And on December 31st, 2020, the 202nd Ordinal Decade will end. So one isn't wrong to say the decade will end on December 31st, 2020, but you're probably being a little unclear uh, what with the modern parlance being what it is. So you're probably better off saying the ordinal decade will end on December 21st, 2020. But what do the Mayans think? (laughs) (laughs) And is this altered at all by the lunar calendar? (laughs) Good advice, as always, from from Alan. (laughs) Yeah, Gives me a lot to think about over the the next little while. I could uh, go next. My word brings us back to the the world of Princess Bride, and my word is swashbuckler. Mm. A term that we've all heard. We've all heard it uh, applied as a descriptor. Uh, I just never really thought what a swashbuckler uh, was, so I looked it up. Interestingly enough, or not, it uh, it makes up. It's made up of two words: the swash and the buckler. <laughs> so swash means to make a noise like clashing swords, and a buckler mm. was a small round shield. So swashbucklers are literally ones who make noise by striking their swords on their own or their opponent's shields. A vivid uh, description of a swaggering ruffian, uh, later extended to a flamboyant adventurer and often associated with pirates. That's funny because swash to me doesn't sound like swords hitting. Shouldn't it be swock butler? (laughs) Like swash. Or clank. Clank, yeah. Interesting, fun uh, story about making sword sounds is, again, from Carrie Elvis's book. Apparently, they had to stop the actors from making sounds when they were fencing because they would just start doing that when they were practicing the fencing. And apparently, this happened in the Star Wars movies, too, where they had to actors had to fight really hard not to make sounds when they were fighting with the lightsabers. So maybe actual pirates made sounds when they were sword fighting. So my nerd word for uh, this month is harried. Uh, It has nothing to do with Harry and the Hendersons or Harry Potter. Uh, Lexico.com describes it as feeling strained as a result of having demands persistently made on one, harassed. Hmm. Merriam-Webster says beset by problems, harassed. So you would think with all of that that maybe harried is a form of harassed, but it isn't apparently because the root of harass seems to be hairy. This meaning of the term dates from about 1609. And before that, the more common definition of it was to ravage as in war, to devastate as in troops ravage or harrying a countryside. Hmm. 
this version goes from before 900 and uh, apparently derives from the Old English Hergian or Herian, which is a derivative of here army. So it was literally the army coming here and laying waste. So a modern example of this is uh, Prince Harry usually has a beard, right? So mm-hmm. the very hairy Harry has been harried by the media. <laughs> um, we're recording this uh, the week before Christmas. The holidays can be a happy time for many, but it's not uncommon to feel the strains of many demands on one's time. So if you're feeling harried, it's okay to let people know you need a little more space and a little peace and quiet to manage your energies. Harried. If only we had an eggle-veggle. Oh, and we yeah. could see the, you know, oh, the hedgehogs. Get, you could hide in your eagle veggle and yeah. you wouldn't be so hairy. <laughs> yeah, if you're feeling right. hairy, you could just go out yeah. and watch those hedgehogs going back and forth. Between the gardens. <laughs> and unfortunately, we have to sign off for this month. So thank you very much, dear readers, for and tuning into this. And this decade, yes, this decade. A decade. We always <laughs> sign off at the end of a decade. A decade. <laughs> <laughs> <gasps> and this our xxiv episode of the time to read podcast it's hard to believe we've been doing this for 10 years you guys <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's great to grow old around a table with you guys uh in january join us as we read great house a novel by nicole krauss get in on the conversation by finding us on facebook or emailing us at wpl-podcast.winnipeg.ca we'd love it if you hit subscribe in itunes or your favorite podcast service and we'd love it even more if you were to give us a five-star rating and until the next decade make sure you find time Time to read. read Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Time to Read podcast. We were talking about The Princess Bride by William Goldman. Time to Read is a production of the Winnipeg Public Library. Our panel today included Alan Chorney, Dennis Penner, Kirsten Werman, and Trevor Lockhart. Erica will return in a future episode. Our webmaster is Aaron Seepern. Our social media guru is Regan Brew. Audio production and music by Dennis Penner. Some of our comments today came from Adam Ziegler, Charlie Nellum, Ms. Diaz Managerie, and Jamie Webrook. You can be part of our show, too. Email us at wpl-podcast at winnipeg.ca with suggestions for books that you'd like us to read and discuss and comments and questions about the book we're reading for our next show. Visit us on the web at wpl-podcast.winnipeg.ca. Check out our show notes with links to some of the things we talked about today and take part in a discussion about the books we're reading. You can also join our Facebook group. Next month, we're reading Great House by Nicole Krauss. We're looking forward to hearing what you think about it. Yeah. yeah. It Aww. looks like during the, those uh, time you were away, you just went around and collected nerd words. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you traveled to Norway. You traveled yeah. to China. It was amazing. <laughs> guys, guys, what's your word of the year? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Okay. I'm, I got to go now. I got to get to Norway.